Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Realm of Unknown. I am your host, Shane, and today we've got a rather interesting topic to discuss as we continue our little streak of spooky locations and stories throughout the month of October. Now today we will be discussing a rather interesting and sort of common topic that most people are probably familiar with, that being ghost towns. However, this time we've got a bit of a spin to it as today we will be discussing the ghost town known as Kolmanskop, located in Namibia. Now, this ghost town is located in the Namid Desert, which again is located in Namibia, specifically the southern end of it. And it itself is located from the southwestern coast of Africa, just northwest of South Africa. It's essentially the country that borders right above it. And the town that we will be discussing in particular is located 10 kilometers inland from the largest port town of the country, that being uh, Luder... Uh, gotta pronounce this wrong. Luderitz, I believe it's how it's pronounced. Uh, you'll soon learn that a lot of this location is very heavily uh, influenced by the Germanic culture as it imperialized the location during the turn of the 20th century. So it has a history to it. So the whole town of Colmanskop received its name after a transport driver named Johnny uh, Coleman, who, during a sandstorm, abandoned his ox wagon in a small incline opposite of where the settlement would be. Once a small but rather rich mining village, it was now the tourist destination of a sort of joint firm that became a diamond company of sorts. And really, the whole settlement really kicked off once uh, the trade market sort of got involved in 1908, when a worker known as uh, Zachariah Lawala found a diamond while working in the area and showed it to his supervisors. And this, again, being the Germanic company, uh, this was a railroad inspector by the name of August Stouch. And this discovery is actually believed to be the reason as to the diamond rush in the entire area. And the German miners began to pretty much just flood the whole settlement. Kolmanskop became a massive boomtown pretty much overnight, essentially. Think of the gold rush here in the United States. It's sort of that equivalent over there. Uh, eventually it got to the point where sort of the German Empire soon declared the whole area Spurgebet, which is essentially translates to the prohibited area or the prohibited zone. And uh, essentially they blocked it off. Because these were diamonds, and people were finding them pretty much all over the place. You could just find them on the ground. People had massive mines being built. It became a pretty big thing. And due to all this attention and wealth from the mines that were being brought in, the small settlement eventually grew into something much, much greater. It's not the, you know, greatest condition for a lot of miners, but there were some exceptions to the town. Now, the village was built in, again, the style of a dramatic town or dramatic settlement, and it hosted a lot of new and rather updated amenities, uh, including a new hospital, a ballroom, power station, school, theater, a sports hall, casino, and an ice factory. The village was even the first uh, one to host an x-ray machine or an x-ray station within the whole southern hemisphere entirely, as well as being the first tram line within Africa itself. And now this specific railway is actually one of the only links to the mining sediment, uh, with the port town that we ever mentioned being Luderitz, which was a way of export for these diamonds that they were mining. 
and I believe to this day is still one of the main ways to get to the town. Um, you are able to get to it, I believe, through uh, like actual physical travel via car or dune buggy, but you mainly, I believe, there's a train stop that still goes to this location. And during World War II, uh, as you can probably assume, a lot of things sort of began to change. And uh, in this case, the whole settlement essentially went on to the downcline. Particularly, this was due to the uh, diamond mines drying up, and in the early 50s, this whole area was pretty much on its last leg. Many of the town's inhabitants had followed uh, the diamonds, and sort of, again, similar to the gold rush, people sort of moved around to where the money was. And in this case, the diamonds sort of moved further south and left Coleman Scott behind, and the town was ultimately abandoned in 1956. So Coleman Scott is now pretty much known for being a ghost town. It is very popular when it comes to photographers who are sort of looking for desert locations, and uh, the whole settlement has pretty much been reclaimed by the desert itself. Uh, due to this, if you were to visit now, you would actually have to get a permit and or a permission in order to investigate in any regards, uh, especially due to the hospitable sort of conditions that the entire town is in. A lot of the buildings are actually pretty much reclaimed to the point where sand is at you know knee or waist height inside the buildings. It's extremely hot, and some days can be you know 120, 130. It's insane. Like it, the the temperature is insane, the the weather is insane, and it's just a really harsh environment to stay in. And uh, it's from that's a huge reason as to why it's remained a desolate ghost town essentially. Uh, but people still do visit, a lot of them actually being residents of the local areas as well as being from Luteritz, uh, and a lot of the ghost stories and a lot of the weird paranormal things that the town is now known for as well, because it takes being a ghost town to the literal sense, a lot of these accounts do come from people over in Luteritz. And a lot of the information that I'm actually going to provide, uh, because it was compiled more uniquely, uh, I should say, comes from an episode of Destination Truth. If you guys are not familiar with that, it is a sci-fi series that was airing a while back, hosted uh, by Josh Gates and a bunch of investigators who traveled the world and sort of investigated these sort of unique locations. Now, they did an investigation, but before we get into that, I will sort of detail some of the minor uh, accounts and sort of reports that people have while going to the town. Again, a lot of the sort of reported events or reported paranormal things come from Luteritz uh, citizens or other people who are visiting uh, the area or visiting the town because people don't live there. People do not live pretty much anywhere near that town. And this this also probably has to do with the sort of reception, or the reputation, I should say, that Coleman Scott has had. Again, it is a really dangerous environment, and also this is a mining settlement. It, it, it had a lot of deaths involved, and it was a very dangerous work environment for a lot of people. So the idea that, you know, everyone just left one day and everything was fine... It's not really the case because it's a dangerous place and people died and also it's been around for a while. So it's a good combination of things for people to report weird things happening after the fact. 
And for the most part, a lot of the accounts have to do with the sensation of, you know, being touched uh, in the location when you are aware that no one should be there with you or you are not anywhere in the vicinity of someone in your group who could. There's also a rather eerie sensation of being watched and or followed while sort of exploring the town. A lot of people report specifically when you're moving between the buildings as if people are watching you from within them. Now, there is actually one uh, or two interviewed uh, individuals from this Destination Truth uh, episode that have their own particular stories, one being a young woman who reported an encounter with a floating sort of translucent spirit who, in her description, is pretty much from European descent. She describes her as having fair skin, blonde hair, and donning a white gown, sort of the typical lady-in-white description. However, during her encounter, her and her friend were visiting the town and in one instance saw a glimpse of her, and upon doubling back, she was gone. There was no one else nearby. The second encounter was from a woman detailing an experience that her son had while visiting the town, uh, again, exploring with a small group, and this was particularly seen in the butchery of the town, and in which he reported hearing the sounds of voices, people sort of moving about and going about their day within the butchery as if it was still working and it was still functioning. He also reported the smell of blood and meat as, again, if the store or the, the, the factory, the, the butchery, was still functioning in some capacity. And for the most part, it is, again, this is a ghost town. This is something that's been abandoned for a very long time, but no one stays here. This is like an unspoken rule that you just don't go to this location for very long much less stay the night. Like, people do not stay the night here. If you go investigating, you go with a group, and at the very least, like, you're there with a few people, and you're not there for long. It's this weird uh, sort of unspoken law of the land that you just don't go to this town, and it's mainly due to the fact that people are terrified that there's something still there. So moving into the uh, Destination Truth investigation, it's actually rather interesting. It's only half of the episode because they do two individual locations slash topics for each episode. And uh, this is the beginning half of that one. So to start things off, you know, they break off into two teams. And uh, pretty much right off the bat, they start having some sort of experience uh they have a trifle meter during one of their first sit down in the uh evp sessions and that's just going off all over the place essentially if you're not aware of that uh it sort of gauges movement or vibrations and they put it down and immediately it just starts going off and at the same time they hear what sounds like someone moving about outside the building that they're currently in and then they just sort of leave that there uh, and move on. This particular group, uh, I believe it's four individuals, and they migrate over to the school of the town um, in which they, again, have another sit-down EVP session. One of the investigators asks the whoever's there to repeat a specific action that she does, in which she pounds the ground three times. And pretty much almost instantly, uh, you hear another thudding sound in the distance. Like it, it, it very much is mimicking the sound, and it just continues to do so for the next like minute or so. Um, in this in this instance, too, uh, this is the moment in which another investigator by the name of Ryder begins to struggle to breathe. 
Now, it is sort of depicted as if she is sort of choking. Uh, she's having a really hard time. She say that her, her throat feels as though it's closing up. It is mentioned that she does have an inhaler. However, the moment she steps outside, she's good. Like, she's pretty much fine. She's, like, feeling a lot better. It was pretty much the only time that she stepped in foot in that building in the school is when she had the sensation and then it was gone. So it's something to keep note of. They don't really know specifically what it was. It was inconclusive, but it's something to sort of keep your eyes on. But uh, moving into the other half of the group, they were currently in the hospital slash morgue location while this was going on. And pretty much same case scenario, almost instantly they start hearing what sounds like footsteps on top of them, like on the floor above, uh, people moving around, heavy footsteps, and this should not be the case. Again, this is an abandoned town which half of it is buried under sand. You shouldn't be hearing heavy footsteps moving about, like people just aren't here. Um, so one of the investigators goes to check, and as he's ascending the stairs, just as he's able to peek over, he freaks out and pulls back, and he starts really freaking out because apparently he saw someone. He he saw someone, like, sort of standing on the opposite side of the room near the window, and he swears that there was a person there for an instance. And, like, the, the moment he reeled his head back up to look, they were gone. And also, something to note during this particular encounter, uh, they did not capture this on camera. Uh, his camera was not... They have, like, mounted cameras on their backs, uh, but it was not fully in view once he was ascending, so he was not able to capture it. However, uh, just in that instance, as they were trying to discuss that between their small group, uh, his nose starts bleeding. He starts having a bloody nose, and uh, the medic within the group tries to get him to leave the building. He says he's fine. Uh, they do end up leaving, however, it's weird that they're starting to have, like, physical stuff happen as they're experiencing these things. And again, this is TV, so take it all with a grain of salt. Um, I, it's interesting, but it, it's something that you should note. Uh, so finally, the last place that they did investigate was the butchery, which we mentioned early on. Uh, and this was attached with a freezer room, which they decided to uh, have a sit-down solo EVP session with. Um, essentially, they block out half-hour time periods where they have one person sit there by themselves. Um, beforehand, they were sort of having a feeling of negative emotion, sort of dread. And the first sit-down, nothing really happened. It was just sort of a weird feeling. But the second person to do it was actually the last person to do it. Um, because during her specific sit-down session, uh, it was the uh, investigator by the name of Jael. She was part of the show and then came back as a guest for this episode. But she sat down and pretty quickly, uh, I would say pretty early into the session, based off how they cut it, she started having like physical you can notice she's like reacting in the camera and she reports back to them saying like hey like someone it sounds like someone's whispering in my ear like it sounds like a man is talking as like leaning over and whispering to me and uh they they say like oh, okay like just hold off see if you can ride it out a bit longer so she does she sits there and it happens again like it, it keeps going it keeps repeating and she's saying like it, it sounds like someone's leaning over my shoulder and speaking into my ear 
in which that point they pull her out they sort of wrap up the investigation they they the sun's coming up so they don't do a whole day type thing and this was all caught on camera that session was recorded so it's weird obviously you know like okay maybe they could fake it they do re listen to all their you know their notes their videos their audio they do like a sit down thing at the end of the episode one thing to mention is they have uh motion sensitive cameras set up around the town that goes off during their investigations and in one instance there was a rather strange sort of light blur that looks as though someone's shining a like a flashlight directly into the camera However, it's only for one photo of the whole sequence, so it's really bizarre. It's it could be a glitch. They determined that it's undiscernible. They they just don't know what it is. But for it to occur in one photo during the sequence is rather odd. The last major thing to really discuss with that is in reference to Jael during her sit down investigation, in which they actually do capture something rather odd on the audio. Uh, when she sort of speaks out saying like, hey, is anyone here with me right now? Is anyone here in the room? Uh, you do hear a whisper. You you hear what sounds like someone semi close to the mic going like, like it sounds like a breath is exiting. It sounds as if words are being spoken. However, you can't really discern them. Uh, they do determine, like, hey, it sounds like this, but it's just so illegible that we just can't really definitively say what it is. But it corroborates what was going on during her little sit-down, the fact that a mic actually caught it. Uh, so I find that interesting. And I, this whole sort of location I always find interesting whenever I go back and sort of hear about it. Uh, because, again, you know, I, I listened to the show back when it aired, and uh, you don't really hear a whole lot of reports coming out of the location, mainly due to it being a local sort of ghost town type haunted urban legend type location. And I just find it unique. Uh, it's this ghost town, which, you know, we have a lot of those here. We have a lot of them all over the world. Uh, but this one in particular is located in the middle of a desert. You just cannot get to. People do not stay there. There are tours that are hosted uh, that you can go to, but you have to book them so far in advance. I'm fairly certain they always go during the day. Like, there just are not people here. And when people go there, they get freaked out. There's this, like, sensation of dread. Like, it's just this uneasiness feeling. And then people start having ghost encounters all throughout the town. Pretty much all buildings, there are some level of stories that come out of it. And that's just really, really interesting to me to think that this is a possibility that this town is just holding on to that remnants of the past. And uh, that's really it. Um, there's a lot, really a whole lot more to discuss when it comes to Colmanskop. Uh, it's an interesting location. It had a really rich past to it. But for the most part, it lived and died as this mining settlement that just sort of popped up and just like how the gold rush was, I keep making that comparison, uh, came and gone as sort of the resources dried up, and then it remained this desolate heap that people now have stories about, and I find that really interesting. Um, but yeah, so I'm going to wrap it up. I'm not really going to ramble on with certain stuff during this episode. I just sort of want to focus on the story, on the, the reports that come out of the location. 
However, if you do want to check out, uh, you know, new fee- new updates, sort of discussions and stuff, you can go over to Twitter or Instagram at Realm of Unknown. I have a lot of, you know, new stuff coming up over there. And uh, if you want to, you know, support the channel or support the uh, podcast, depending on who, where you're listening to all this stuff, uh, you could do so over on Patreon, same name, uh, email address for stories and such like that, same name, just for gmail.com, and pretty much anything, just Realm of Unknown, you'll find me pretty much anywhere, and if you have any topics or discussions you would like me to look into, or have any stories of your own, be sure to send it my way, because I love listening to them, and I love reading through them. Uh, But aside from that, I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode, and I hope to see you guys next week. But in the meantime, remember to stay spooky. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.